Well, wouldn't you know it, we've hit 30. How incredible is that? I haven't been 30 for a very, very long time, but it's great. It feels fantastic, Tony. Well, you know what? I haven't been 30 for a long time either, and it does feel fantastic. So 30 episodes in of the Wayback Music Machine podcast. Very, very exciting. I, I, I think it's amazing that truck has maintained itself for 30 episodes, 30 trips. I think so, too. It's still going strong, and it's got uh, plenty of gas left in the tank, so to speak. <laughs> well, happy anniversary, my friend. Happy yes, anniversary. Yes, you as well. And uh, we've got something special planned today, folks. We're going to be doing more of a chart show. We were looking at uh, the week that was in rock history, and I have to say, Aaron, this was not the greatest week in rock history. It just wasn't, you know? So yeah, It's kind of dull. Yeah, sometimes, you know, some <laughs> days are diamonds and some are stones, as the song says. Hey, John Denver. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this week, you know, the week that was, was a stone for sure. But uh, so we decided uh, to celebrate our 30th episode. We are going to do a special chart show instead. So are you ready to hit the road, my friend? I'm always ready to hit the road, yes. All right, let's go. Road trip time. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So we've only got one trip today, and that's over the pond to London, England. And I I love every time we visit London. Well, I do too. And we're going in 1952, which means we can get some really good fish and chips. Oh, that'll be fantastic. So... And uh, you know what? Then we can, uh, once we're done eating, we can see what the headlines were <laughs> on the newspaper. That's a good idea. All right, here we go. So like we were saying at the beginning of the show, we've uh, got a special episode today. We're doing a chart show. And Aaron, I know you're the chart guy. So uh, what are we doing here today? Well, as you know, I love charts. Uh, I, I love record charts, music charts. And what we're looking at, Tony, is the first ever UK pop chart that was published in the... Uh, there's a magazine called New Musical Express. Um, so the staff, in 1952, on November the 8th, they basically called 53 record shops and asked them to say, you know, what's selling? What's selling? And from those 53 record shops came the first ever... Well, it was supposed to be top 10, but it turned out to be top 12, but... A couple of numbers, like number 11 and uh, number 8 and number 7. There's two songs per number, right? Ties. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious to see what's on there. So what was on that chart? So I'm curious. I want to know how many you know. I mean, I, I looked at this chart, and I knew most of them. There was a couple here that I kind of went, I'm not familiar with, but I knew the artists. So, for example, number 12 uh dexy's midnight runner is saying about these got this guy named johnny ray oh yeah poor old johnny ray walking my baby back home is a great song fantastic song do you like johnny ray i do me too me too i i used to love that what's that one when you're sweetheart you know yeah uh number 11 that surprised me i don't know why but mario lanza 
yeah, thought, Mario because Lanza, you're the mine. opera guy, right? So. Yep. <laughs> Who I think my mother would have, you know, gladly sailed across the ocean to be with. Uh, <laughs> number 10, number 11, tied at number 11 with Mario Lanza. Do you, do you know Max Bygraves? I don't, actually. I'm looking at the title of this, though, The Cowpunchers <laughs> Cantata. What is that? Well, Max Bygrave was was a, a holdover from the old vaudeville and the old musicals in England. He was kind of a how's your uncle kind of thing, you know. And uh, he never really made it over here, but he was huge, huge in the UK. That's a that's an interesting song. I think you'll like it when I when I send you the playlist. Oh, I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, that's, uh... <laughs> well, I think you can wait. <laughs> Vera Lynn has number 10 and number 9. Number 10 is Avita Zane, Sweetheart. Yeah, that's a great song. It is. You know that? That's a classic, mm -hmm. right? Now, I don't know the homing waltz. That I one, don't either. So again, when you put that on the list, I'm looking forward to hearing that one, actually. I, I, I love her voice. I, oh, me I too. Me too. Love her voice. Number 8. There's a tie at number 8. And I'm going to tell you right now, my mother had both of these 78s. And I, consequently, I still have them on 78. Oh, nice. Well, one is number eight is Blue Tango by Ray Martin. And Doris Day and Frankie Lane, a duet, a song called Sugarbush. And my mother's favorite singer probably of all time was Frankie Lane. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, she loved Frankie. And Doris Day was so great, wasn't she? Oh, underrated, underrated. Her oh, voice, fantastic. Absolutely. absolutely. I, look at here, Tony. Vera Lynn's back in the charts. Uh, number seven with Forget Me Not. Great song. Mm -hmm. And number seven, tied at number seven, is Frankie Lane. High Noon, Do Not Forsake Me. Oh, my darling. Uh, love that song. Love the movie, too. Yeah, what an interesting chart this is. Wow. <laughs> It's all over the place. It sure is. Now, what's coming just, in at number six here? It's, it's just like, I don't know what's coming up next, right? Number six <laughs> is, um, well, if you, you used to watch ER, I'm sure. Yeah. George Clooney's aunt, Rosemary Clooney, uh, number six with half as much. I had no idea they were related. Is that ever cool? Yeah, they are. That was That's his aunt. Seriously. Oh, wow. And she, she actually made an appearance in one of the episodes of ER. She was a patient, so. Oh, neat. Good, cool. Number five, Guy Mitchell, Feet Up, Pat Him on the Popo. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> Boy, that, that, that came to mean something different these days, eh? Oh, for sure. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, less said the better. Yeah, exactly. Number I'm not going number there. Four, no. No. Number four, my favorite, Bing Crosby, and a beautiful song called The Isle of Free, which is based on a poem by the wonderful Yates. Um, Nat King Cole comes in at number three with Somewhere Along the Way. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. Number two is one of my all-time favorite songs, bar none, Joe Stafford and You Belong to Me. Yeah, this is a fantastic song, isn't it? I, I always I was always mesmerized by the opening lines. See the pyramids along the Nile, you know. Just she's you know love her. Number one, which according you know, which stayed at number one for nine whole weeks, is I think I don't know if he's a relative of yours or not. Um, Al Martino, <laughs> <laughs> and here in my heart. Oh, there you go. That what a what a fascinating uh, look at what was going on in the early fifties in the UK, isn't that? Oh my gosh! Did you grow up with Al Martino? 
Not really, to be honest. I mean, I know really? who Al Martino was, and I know a little bit about, of the music, but uh, huh. no, not a whole lot, no. Oh, he was on in our house all the time. Yeah, what a great list. It, so we're going to be um, uh, focusing on this week, the 8th to the 14th of November, and we decided to take a look back and see uh, throughout the years what was on the charts, like what albums and what songs hit number one. And each of us picked a song and each of us picked an album. Now, what do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about the albums or the songs? Well, I, I want to say that I didn't consult with Tony. I just picked a song and an album. He picked a song and an album. And we both, for some reason, picked Elton John for albums. Yeah, which uh, I thought was a very cool coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I did too. That was, that's, you see, Tony, we're on sync, man. We're on sync. Well, exactly. Well, why don't we do the albums first? Why sure. Why okay. don't you go first? Oh, okay. Well, the the, the album I picked um, was Elton John's ninth uh, studio album called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And uh, I picked this because, quite frankly, I bought that when it came out. I bought it the same day as Venus and Mars. Along the years, I lost my copy of the album. I, I just it disappeared. I was in a value village, and I saw it there for like two dollars, mint condition, with the two books and posters still inside. Oh wow! So I bought it, and oh. I forgot how good that album is. Do you know the album? I do know the album, and you know, um, someone saved my life tonight. What a what an unbelievable song, isn't it? It, and and an odd choice for a single. I didn't think that, A, it's very long. Well, it's yeah. not very long, but it's long. Well, six minutes, right? It clocks in around yeah. six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I love the song. I've always loved that song. Um, and I like the opening track, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Uh, it's a concept album about, you know, really him and Bernie Toppin, his co-writer, starting out in the 60s. Um, it's it, it was also the first album in America's Billboard charts to enter the charts at number one. Oh, um, wow. Now, what makes that special, Tony, is that this was prior to streaming and, and downloading. That meant that 1.4 million people had to physically go and buy the record in stores to shoot that up the charts in the time it was released and the time the chart was published. So pretty incredible. Well, and, you know, looking back on his career, actually, Elton John said this was probably their best album right because none of these songs were written just with charts in mind or anything like that right they were just really um, autobiographical songs about their early career and uh, I mean that comes through on the album I agree now did you know there was a sequel well I did know there was a sequel but I'd never heard it and uh, it didn't do very well did it it no, it bombed out. In two thousand and six, it was called "The Captain and the Kid." Um, it wasn't bad. I don't think it's as bad as the reviews certainly indicated. I thought it was pretty good, but it didn't chart very high. But Elton had the last laugh because who's number one in England right now? Elton John. Oh, isn't that amazing? Hey, eh? so <laughs> I'm sure he just set another record with uh, being number one, right? He set a record because he's had a number one album in every decade: seventies, eighties, nineties. Double the, you know, the whatever the early two thousands, two thousand teens, and now the two thousand twenties. Yeah, that's incredible. Talk about longevity, eh? Wow. Yeah, what a career. So that that was my choice. I, I love the album. I think it's. I, I have to agree with Alton. I think it's his best album. Um, 
And uh, interestingly, uh, I have to, you know, because I, I, I get nerdy, the album that knocked it out of number one was Venus and Mars. Oh, wow. <laughs> Paul McCartney knocking them out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what you picked an album, John. Oh, by the way, that was in 1975. So what album did you pick? Well, I picked um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And I picked that, uh, you know, simply because it's his, probably his magnum opus, right? It's the one he's most known for. It came out on November 10th, 1973. It went to number one. Um, and finally got knocked out of number one, though, in, in uh, 74 by the Carpenters, of all people, eh? So how interesting is that? Yeah, sad, right? But this was his seventh studio album. And, uh, you know, like you, I found this one uh, at a vinyl sale. And, I mean, I got it for a steal. And, and I can't even remember. I think I paid less than $10 for it. So that was fantastic. <laughs> I remember. Was that recently? Yeah, that was, oh, maybe a year ago. Yeah, I remember when you got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah. this was originally supposed to be recorded in Jamaica, but they were having studio problems there, but they moved it to France. Uh, he was in uh, Jamaica at the time. He was staying at the Pink Flamingo Hotel, and uh, he wrote all the songs very, very quickly. Like this, this album was knocked out in a matter of weeks. It was amazing. But so... What's weird is that it wouldn't have benefited by being recorded in Jamaica. I just, I don't think it's because it doesn't have that Jamaican feel to it. It's not like a reggae album. Yeah, there's or, no uh, reggae elements in it at all, really. Like, But um, it was ended up being recorded in France. And this, I mean, was a monster, right? I mean, this album was the best-selling album in the U.S. in 1974. Yeah. Um, and he actually had two number one albums in 74, too. He had Caribou as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he had three number one albums in total in that one year. He was, I think, I think we forget how monumental he was in the seventies. He was, he was huge. Yeah, well, Massive. he was the the biggest selling recording artist of the seventies, wasn't he? He uh, indeed he was. Yeah, he was, uh, and and it's funny because I don't hear him on the radio all that often, and when I do, they always play his eighties stuff, which I'm not overly impressed by. Oh, but um, you know. It's it's funny because I I still love his his albums in the seventies are my favorite albums by him. Oh, for sure. Now, do you have a track on uh, this "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" that you uh, you know resonates with you more than any other? Well, I know it's kind of trite, but I, I, the, the the title track has always resonated with me more than any other song on the album. I really love that song. Yeah, that is a fantastic song. Do you know Rick and I do a, a jazz cover of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road? And it actually really works. You wouldn't think that it would, but... Uh, I'd love to hear that. That yeah, would be awesome. It's yeah, it's a neat, neat version. I mean, there's some other great tracks on there. I absolutely... What's your favorite? What's your favorite on the album? Probably Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I love uh, Benny and the Jets, though, too. My goodness, what a great song. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you find... Do you think there's any... It's a double album, right? Yeah. There's no weak tracks on it, though. I don't think there are any weak tracks. You know, another great one, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, has always been one of my favorite tunes as well. It's just just fantastic. Did you ever hear the Who do that? Uh, do Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, there was an album that came out in the 90s called Two Rooms, and it was a bunch of artists covering um, Elton John, right? And they, the Who did Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, and Kate Bush did Rocket Man. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And she did a great job of Rocket Man, which I, that's another one of my all-time favorite Elton John songs. Oh, are you going to put uh, that Kate Bush version on the uh, playlist? I think I just might. I might put The Who, too. Yeah, right? you should I, do that. I want to hear both of those. That'll be fantastic. But I, I, I also like, um, I love Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. But I also thought that Funeral for a Friend is pretty, and Candle in the Wind, right? I mean, those two songs. Well, and the way, yeah, the way that Funeral for a Friend starts off that album is just so interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant album. Now, what do you think? Uh, should we take a break and then we'll talk about uh, some of the number one singles? I think it's a good idea. All right, let's take a break and we'll be right back. You know, Aaron, our little show here has really taken off. Uh, And now as we hit episode 30, it's onwards and upwards. But there are some great ways that the fans who are listening can really help us out, aren't there? Yes, a lot of, and actually it doesn't take a lot. It's very easy. Well, that's right. So one of the first things you can do is just share one of our posts, you know, let people know that you're listening and that you love the show. Um, you can also leave us reviews, and I, I love reading reviews of the show. Me too, me too. And finally, you can just ask us questions, you know, or, or uh, anything you want to know about the show, we'd be happy to answer, and we love interacting with our fans. So hopefully we hear from you soon. Well, you know, sharing is caring, and caring is sharing. And uh, I'm trying to make this kind of into a rhyme. You're right, I love interacting with the fans, and uh, please, by all means... Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. That sounds great. So now, let's get back to the road trip. And we're back, and we're going to be talking now about some singles that went to number one this week in rock history. I'm going to throw in a little bit of uh, Canadian content here. Um, I love this guy. I know you love him, too. And uh, I do. You know, iconic musician, iconic former CBC host. We'll talk about that in a bit. But of course, I'm talking about uh, Randy Bachman and BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive, this week, November 9th, 1974. And a classic song by them, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. I picked that one just because the backstory on that one is uh, so interesting, right? Because the signature part of that song is the stuttering and I didn't realize, you know, I, I knew that Randy Bachman had written this, you know, he was going to kind of tease his brother Gary because Gary was a stutterer, but um, I didn't realize that they had no intention of releasing this song. Did you? I, you know, it's, but it's not unusual. There's, you hear a lot of stories about, you know, that was never intended to come out and then it comes out. It's huge. Well, absolutely. So here's the, the backstory on this. And, and I love this. Uh, he was just fooling around. He heard some uh, songs that he liked and he just decided, he, you know, he tried a guitar riff and started doing these lyrics and they ended up recording it as what's called a work track. And a work track is something that you put on uh, to test the microphones and to test the, the speaker layout and all that stuff, right? And so they call them work tracks. And he threw in the stutter uh just for fun. And he was going to, the whole plan was he was going to send it to, to his brother, Gary, because he was saying he, he and his brothers would tease each other uh, mercilessly as my brothers and I did. And he was just going to send it to his brother and say, Hey, I'm going to release this. Right. He was. And um, anyway, so they did it as a work song and they were recording their album called not fragile. 
and the the studio heads were saying well there's not really a single on here there's not really a hit single on here the album's a little bit heavy and then someone suggested hey let's listen to the let's use the work track and and randy was like no no that that was kind of just a joke but uh he said as soon as they put that track on the uh the studio execs eyes lit up you know as soon as he heard the beginning guitar and then as soon as he heard the stuttering in it he was over the moon and he was like that is the song that is the song and uh, i was watching an interview earlier today with randy bachman and he was saying he really didn't want to release it because his guitar wasn't in tune and uh, you know there were a million things because he's a perfectionist right a million things wrong with a song but it ended up becoming a monster hit oh huge huge hit and not fragile and, and it, it brought not fragile into the number one position people bought the album because that song was such a massive hit and and you know, I remember in 74, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing that song. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the stuttering. Now, there were a few other things because he was asked about the stuttering. I'm sure, you know, I don't know if you could release a song today like this with a stuttering in it. But uh, he was, like I said, he was just doing it because of his brother, Gary. But the American Stuttering Association uh, sent him an award he actually got an award and named this the best stuttering song of all time by the american stuttering association can you can you believe that and there are some great songs that have stuttering in them well the who my generation for my instance generation yeah you know? yeah and this was not a ripoff of the who no he was accused of that but he said yeah. you know he had no intention of ripping off the who you know he was just fooling around in the studio when he and he had no intention of releasing the song but, uh, well, and uh, and what's funny is the uh, you know and this is thanks to you 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 showed me a cover version by Burton Cummings, oh, yeah. <laughs> which which um, I don't know what to say, but I, it's a it's it's really jazzy. Um, it's odd, really. It's, and, it's but he did the, very he, odd. He did the stuttering. He did the stuttering. He threw the stuttering in. But if you can imagine this song being done as a slow jazz ballad with tinkling piano and big band yeah it is yeah. it is something else um it kind of works in a weird sort of way i mean burton cummings has that type of voice though that that no matter what right in my opinion he's got the golden voice and whatever he sings just works you know but it was such an odd cover well, you know, I think that's the beauty of Burton Cummings is you just never know what he's going to come up with next. Yeah. And he he did a number of records with Bachman, right? I mean, I know they're the Guess Who, the history and the Guess Who, but there was a for a time there was a Bachman Cummings band, wasn't there? I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up because I know Pretty they had sure their they had their struggles, but oh, yeah. then they reconciled well, and yeah. Who who hasn't? What bands haven't had struggles? You know, with the exception of um, ABBA. No, just kidding. They've well, had struggles, folks. <laughs> Abba's had struggles. <laughs> but uh, I know uh, throughout the years, right, there have been a ton of uh, Bachman and Cummings reunions. Yeah, tons of them. Tons all, of them. All over the place. And, you know, even listening to this um, interview, which was fairly recent, I mean, Randy had nothing but uh, respect for Burton Cummings, right? So I, I, I bet the uh, interview was not on the CBC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we have to address that, okay? Because I chose this song because I wanted to address uh, that whole controversy. So if people don't know it, 
Well, you listen to Vinyl Tap, I, and I do as well. I think it is one well, of CBC's. To. Yeah, exactly. Used to. I think it's one of CBC's best shows, and I think Randy Bachman, just by his pedigree, I mean that guy knows everybody, has worked with everybody, unbelievable stories to tell, and has an encyclopedic knowledge of rock and pop music and other styles of music as well. I mean, he's a, a student, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so much to offer as a host and the, and the CBC canceled his show. And of course, doing it out of political correctness, you know, saying, I mean, what was their official explanation? We want some new voices to mm-hmm. be given an opportunity, but you know, you can't help but thinking that unfortunately Randy, you know, uh, checked all the wrong boxes in terms of, <laughs> political correctness and and he to his credit he didn't uh, go down lightly like he pushed back and said this is nuts and and i if, totally agree with him if i'm not mistaken it was the most listened to show on cbc i would i would go out of my way on a saturday night to listen to it i never missed it you oh, know me too and in fact I remember quite often I would uh, be coming home, let's say from a gig or a rehearsal and Vinyl Tap would be on and I'd be, I would take my time on the way home, right? I'd oh. take a few extra detours just so I wouldn't miss any of it. Tony, I, w- I would sit in the driveway waiting yeah. to hear what he had to say about a certain record he just played because he would play some pretty obscure stuff, right? Yeah. And I would be like, I'm not going in the house because I don't want to miss it, you no. know? And yeah, that's, that's been there too. And uh, so he pushed back and he said, you know, you guys are, are do what you want, but you're extremely misguided with all this political correctness stuff. And I kind of agree with him. I think that they have just uh, alienated a big chunk of their audience because, you know, I hate to break it to the CBC, but you're not going to attract an under 30 crowd to listen to you, to you, you know, on a, on a Saturday night. Well, that's right. <laughs> like, that's just not going to happen. And, uh, it's like people who are trying to be hip by doing the newest thing all the time, right? I mean, that wears thin awfully fast, doesn't it? Yeah, and if you hear a noise, folks, it's my cat meowing. Just oh, is so your cat you know. in the room? She is. She's uh, demanding attention. No, I agree, Tony. It's not, They're not going to make up for the loss of listeners. And And this was a show that was not offensive to anybody it was just a straight ahead if you like music and you wanted to learn about music you listen to randy bachman and he was fun to listen to he had great guests on oh absolutely he single-handedly figured out the opening chord to a hard day's night that's right the mystery chord yeah the mystery chord and he actually i believe it was paul mccartney who gave him credit like he figured it out you know yeah that's pretty cool so anyway uh boo on you cbc i uh you know very disappointed by that decision but uh, you know what let's move on so what did you pick as your number one song well before we move on i'm going to tell you that the song that knocked him out of number one oh yes. was 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 john lennon's first number one in america oh, believe wow. it or not first number one anywhere actually it was whatever gets you through the night from his album walls and bridges so I strayed away from our little, like, I didn't go November, and I'm sorry, I should have, but I, I went earlier in 74, because you inspired me when you picked um, BTO, you know, you ain't see nothing yet. So I picked a song that's a one-hit wonder in North America, a, a group called Paper Lace. Do you remember The Night Chicago Died? Oh, it is such a weird song. <laughs> it should not, it should not have become a number one. 
I don't know how it did. I don't know how either, to be honest. And there's a really, really weird Beatle connection. The, the guy who co-wrote the song, his name is Mitch Murray. He was a he, one of those uh, the the British equivalent to the Brill Building, and he had written a song called "How Do You Do It." which George Martin wanted the Beatles to record as their second single. And of course, the Beatles recorded a version of it, but they hated the song. So they said, look, if we can come up with something better, and they came up with Please Please Me. But Jerry and the Pacemakers recorded How Do You Do It? And it made number one. But fast forward to 74, he co-writes this song with a guy named Peter Callender, who, who, who wrote the song Billy Don't Be a Hero. And they have a number one with a very fictional story about Chicago. And by the way, this is my favorite. I love quotations. Mayor Daly of Chicago did not like the song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and a member of his staff is quoted as saying that paper lay should jump in the Chicago River, placing your heads underwater three times and only surfacing twice. Pray tell us. <laughs> wow. Well, and and uh, like in your notes wow. here, they say you know the East Side uh, is mentioned in the song, right, as being this yeah. terrible area, and yeah. the East Side of Chicago is actually quiet, residential, and yeah. predominantly Eastern European neighborhood. Yeah. A sharp contrast, right? From uh, <laughs> oh, so funny, you know. I, but I really like the song. It was it's 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 a terrific song. So you know, the other day, yesterday being Sunday, I was in a flea market and I found the album. I had to, I've always had the single, but I actually found the album. Oh, wow. Five bucks, five bucks. I had to buy it. I had to buy it. But uh, Paper Lace, yeah, they they had hits in England. They had uh, two other hits in England, um, well, two top tens, and they had some top 40, but they, they uh, reminds me of Seasons of the Sun during the very, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Listen, now, 100%. Folks. Yeah, I never thought of that. I, I totally thought of Seasons of the Sun when I when I heard the uh, the verse on this. But I think it's fascinating that they had never even been to Chicago when they wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> everything everything they could do wrong, they did. But it, it, it landed a number one song. So I just, I thought, you know, I haven't heard it on the radio in, 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 in ages. I thought I have to pick this song just because it makes me smile. So. Yeah, no, it is. A, it's a, an interesting song. You know what? Um, it reminds me of that Billy Joel song, The Ballad of Billy the Kid, right? Which is, uh, Billy admits, you know, he just, it's full of historical inaccuracies and everything, but he just wanted to sing a song about Billy the Kid, right? Well, you know, sometimes the the historical inaccuracies are okay, like Billy the Kid, or there's other songs too, uh, Johnny Horton, Battle of New Orleans, or even Sink the Bismarck. Sink the Bismarck was so historically wrong, I failed history because of it. But um, <laughs> but you know, there's all these songs that that took a uh, an important thing in history or a city, and they made up a story. They, this was a made up story, and. You know, it's a great song, and I, I, I hope people will go and listen to the Spotify playlist because I'm going to put it in there, and it's just fun to listen to again. It really is. Oh, absolutely. It, uh, it made me I, laugh when I was listening to it earlier today again. I never I never made the connection to Seasons in the Sun, but now that you say it, I hear it. You know, and, and i got to say that, that it got knocked out of number one by a song that I, I can guarantee you you're not going to hear on the radio these days. Um you're having my baby. Oh, by yes. Paul Lanka. <laughs> I hate that song. I did. Well, 
what kind of line is you're having my baby what a lovely way to say you love the most cringeworthy lyric of all time i guess and it made number one tony oh yeah i don't know collective amnesia you know i think uh, people are having now looking back boy I, I i'm sure people and i'm sure there's this whole generation have never heard the song look i'll, I'll put it in the spotify playlist just so you can <laughs> i can guarantee that'll be the one that people you know hit the next fast button forward <laughs> i i didn't mind the song he had another hit at the same time called i don't like to sleep alone i didn't mind that but you're having my baby it's just wrong on so many levels well that's right but you know what is right on so many levels is mm. hey how's that for a segue that was a i was excuse me i'm gonna wipe away a tear <laughs> uh, what's right on so many levels is the beatles throughout history and i'm sure you wouldn't come to this recording session without some kind of beatles connection so do you want to head back to the present here and uh, do some beatles talk that would be great okay let's go Welcome back, everybody. Of course, it's our Beatle moment. And um, this is an important day in Beatle history. It's November the 9th, 1961. And this is the day, very important, that Brian Epstein went to the Cavern Club to see the Beatles. Uh, the story is that he had been, so the Beatles had recorded a song in Germany. They backed up a guy named Tony Sheridan. It was called My Bonnie. And on the flip side was a song called The Saints. The problem was that the label said the beat Tony Sheridan with the Beat Brothers. Now the reason that was was because Tony Sheridan wanted to have a, a backup band name that was consistent. So he had other musicians backing him up. So it was always the Beat Brothers. Also, the name Beatles was very close to the word Beatles, which is German for, you know, uh, penis. And oh. so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, whatever. So. When Epstein tried to find this record by the Beatles from Germany, he couldn't find it. He kept getting... So he finally locates a copy on Polydor Records. Um, and then he finds out that the Beatles are performing down the road at the Cavern Club. So he says to his assistant, uh, Alistair Taylor, you know, let's go down and check these guys out. So they went to the Cavern Club. And that was the moment that Brian Epstein approached the Beatles and said, I want to manage you. Um, and he had no experience as a manager. He had run. He was running a record store. Well, he was running a, a section of a, a department store, a record section, and he wanted to manage the Beatles for for whatever reason. Yeah, My he favorite, was smitten, eh? Right away. I mean, he he was just taken with them. Oh yeah, but the, the funny thing was when he was asked about them by Alistair, Brian Epstein's quote is saying they were bloody awful, but absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what a great quote! And you know. Uh, as much a part of the the Beatles story, right? I, I I don't know. Do you think? Okay, here's a question for you. Uh, you know, we can play the what if game. What if Brian Epstein had never managed the Beatles? Would they have broken out? Do you think? I don't know. I don't. I, I he cleaned them up. He organized them, and he got them the attention they needed. He got them the the, the record auditions. He negotiated better gigs for them. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, they may have. I, I think they might have split up though. I think that there was a good chance that they may have just called it a day before they made it big as the Beatles. I think that the four members eventually would have made it, but I think he was critical and, and kind of, not to be too, you know, 
but when he passed away was the beginning of the the end of the Beatles. That's when they started splintering. They they he held them together. Whatever he had, they respected him. They loved him, mm-hmm. and I think he he loved them back. And he just had such faith in these. He had more faith in them than they had in themselves. Oh yeah, know? absolutely. He was tireless, you know, and and uh, just wanted to get them a deal so badly. And this just this past weekend, I don't know if you know this, Tony. They just unveiled the first ever statue of Brian Epstein in Liverpool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very well, cool. Hopefully, we so, get to see that in person someday. That would be. We will. <laughs> We will. First, we got to go to New York. We got to talk about that later. But um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, so that was an important day that the Beatles met Epstein. I I I always play the game is what if Epstein hadn't died? I mm-hmm. don't know that the Beatles would have split up the way they did. With so many what ifs, eh? That's a that's I a know. good question. Yeah, yeah, because especially John Lennon, boy, he took that hard when Epstein uh, passed away. I mean, he was he was lost for a while, you know. And uh, well, did you ever see the Did you ever see the clip? Of um, so the Beatles were in Bangor or wherever in, in Wales. They get off the train, and of course they're you know press. John is just like his face is completely pale, and he looks stunned, like he doesn't know what to say. George was okay and Ringo, but John just was devastated, right? So, mm-hmm. well, you know that was a very cool connection, Aaron. And uh, what what fun this has been, eh? Something a little different for our thirtieth episode. Well, you know, I, I agree. And I thought I brought Brian Epson into it because he was also instrumental in, in helping the charts in the UK. He was one of the stores they would call for Liverpool. Oh, uh, so, yeah, that's talk very, Talk about very cool. Segway. Yeah, I learned a, from another, you. <laughs> we are getting to be experts at the Segway. So <laughs> <laughs> say what you will, but we sure know how to do a Segway. Damn straight. Damn straight. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic, and uh, I hope our listeners enjoy today. Thank you so much for supporting the show, folks. Aaron, I hope you have a great week, my friend. I hope you do, too. And I know that uh, you know, some stuff's going on, so I hope everything works out. And uh, we're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll talk next week. Well, actually, I don't know if people at home know this, but we talk every day. Oh, we do. We talk every day. And you know what? I'm going to let people know. We had to put our cat down earlier today, so... Actually, recording uh, this show has been therapeutic. You know, nobody likes to lose a pet, right? No, no. But we do it in her memory, in her honor. That's right. So, uh, you know, I'll miss Marley for sure. All right. Well, have a good week, my friend, and we will talk to you soon. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.
It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theater's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theater through October 16th. Get your tickets at sigtheater.org.